So, this week's parsha is parsha's Bahar and Bechukosai. However, obviously, we really can't start talking about the parsha without just talking about this uh, tragic accident, whatever you want to call it, in Eretz Yisrael. I'm sure as the reports came in, you heard more and more, it was more and more horrifying on a personal level, on a communal level, knowing people, not knowing people that were there. Now, I'll tell you like this. We know that there are no prophets today. There are no prophets today, and therefore we don't know anything. I certainly don't know anything. When we go through situations such as these, this, we turn to our G'daylem, the great rabbis of the generation for guidance. The reason why we turn to them for guidance is because as we know, the whole Jewish nation is one body, as we discussed many times in the past. And the G'daylem, the great rabbis and leaders of the generation are referred to as the Einei Ha'edo, the eyes of the nation. And the reason why they're called that is because they see things clearer than we see things. So I am not even going to start and begin to give a perspective on what happened. What I'm gonna do instead is give you someone else's perspective. So although this is not live, uh, my father, some of you met, some of you even spoke with him in the past, but um, th those of you who didn't, he is a Rosh Hashiva in Baltimore. He's, uh, he's a well-respected person in his position. Uh, many people in the community here are either students of his or seek counsel with him. So he's someone, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a high roller. You know what they say? I remember my brother got married. My brother was engaged to somebody. I'm gonna talk a little bit quieter because there's a class going on right next door and I got a text that I'm talking too loud. So um, my brother got engaged to a girl who came from a very prestigious lineage. And the other side's grandfather started speaking at their engagement party. He was saying how chashev and prestigious the lineage is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then my grandfather spoke and he said, you know what they say, what's yichus, what's prestigious lineage? It's all a bunch of zeros. And the difference between it meaning something or not is if you put a one in the front. If a person has lineage and we all have prestigious lineage, we all have what to be proud of. But if we don't put that one in the front, then all those people that we have and we're so proud to call our grandparents, it net value is zero. If I have 10 great grandparents and I put a one in the front, so then I'm worth millions or billions or whatever it may be. But if I don't put the one in front, so I'm very proud, obviously, of my father. I'm proud to be his son. And what I'm working on, my mission in life is to make myself to be a one instead of a zero. So I'm gonna share with you, it's about 10 minutes, but it's very well worth his 
perspective, but I, I think it, I think you'll all appreciate it and benefit from it. And then we'll kick it off. Um, we'll elaborate a little bit more on what he said, and then we'll take it from there. So just hold, bear with me one minute. Still too loud? I'm going to try to talk. But yeah, look, look, look. When you go to the sound, you can't transfer it to the other sound? I don't even know how. I mean, I'm just okay. trying to You have to go to sound settings. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. If you go to sound settings okay. and then choose the other thing, she could do that. Okay, I'll try. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Here we go. It's audio, so you'll have each other's faces to look at, and we'll listen. One of the shared same thoughts that I have is, is what took place in Eretz Yisrael. Um, <clears throat> I, I feel that in general, when something catastrophic happens, <clears throat> a, a lot of different thoughts can go through a person's mind. I, I, I feel that it's important um, just to mention what what a person shouldn't be thinking about and what a person shouldn't be busy with. <clears throat> I think that it's a natural tendency. <clears throat> I think it's human nature <clears throat> that when something something happens, Certainly, something of magnitude happens. <clears throat> that obviously there's a chalik in the in the person that we might call curiosity. Curiosity to know details, to know uh, exactly all all that happened, exactly how it happened. That's a natural tendency that a person is curious. <clears throat> I I feel that in when there's an event that's uh, very catastrophic, very tragic. <clears throat> that <clears throat> the the pursuit of uh, knowing the details, knowing <clears throat> all the, all the halakim of exactly what happened and how it happened and why it happened, <clears throat> I think, is an escape from a person actually dealing with how he should be dealing with whatever took place. <clears throat> Human beings <clears throat> are always focused on the human chalik of every event. Human beings are very uncomfortable not being in control. Human beings feel a certain sense, I think, of regaining control, regaining a sense of security. When we could be Navarre, was there human error? Was there human fault? What could we be tailor something in? And what should we make sure doesn't happen again? So when people become consumed with the 
we'll call it the Hishtadlis Chalik. Why did it happen? What caused it? What went wrong? What should we fix next time? <clears throat> it, it, it's very much a, uh, a perspective that human beings could have, but it's not the way Yidin should deal with things. For people who are actually involved, and it's them to have certain ideas because they have achrayas, more direct achrayas, perhaps for them, it's important to know for their own, their own achrayas, you know, does something have to be fixed? Something has to be done differently? Are there practical lessons to learn the chuba? But for ruba, the ruba, the ruba, it's not legeo. The ruba, the ruba, the ruba, to be Isaac and that is trying to move away <clears throat> from how does a yid deal with events, the cloud. The way a yid deals with events is that there's a rabbinish <clears throat> the details <clears throat> become really unimportant after the fact. <clears throat> the details are the details of how the Rabbani Shalom decided what he decided should be. But what's Nagaya us is what the Rabbani Shalom decided. So there's one chalik that I think it's important for a person, a yid, to to, to not allow himself to just feel that the 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 tayelis, the tachlis is to have a better havana in the pratim. So now that we have a better havana in the pratim, so we'll know what not to do again next time. It's that it's a distraction, and and I feel that sometimes a person who can justify to himself that it's important for me to know all these pratim is allowing himself not to have to deal with what he should be dealing with, which is what does the Rebbe want me to hear? <clears throat> it's much more difficult for a person to know what am I supposed to be hearing? What am I hearing? Every event has multiple layers. Every event Affects on, on different levels. The closer the event to the event, the effect is different. But anybody who hears about it is affected, should be affected. Any type of connection is in itself a way of defining the the the, the sense of being a baldover. And we're all Balitvarim. The Rabbani Shalom is speaking to all of us. And what he's saying is not Dafka the same thing to everyone. And it's very hard to know what exactly what he's saying. <clears throat> For a person to become uh, very awesome and try to fartaich and trying to be Magdir, Siba, this is the Siva, Thailand this and Thailand that. I, I think it's also, I think it's not, it's not a Tayelis. We don't really have the Achilles for it. And I think it also ends up being a distraction. 
because by trying to find out in my own head what's the siva, why these people, and why this event, and why this item, I think at the end of the day, the, the most he has is baseless theories which do nothing. And that wasn't the kavana the Rabbanishlam that I know about. His kavana was not that I should sit and clear and figure out what's the siva. That's not that's not talking to me. So whatever is Nagay in me is what I'm hearing from the Rabbanishalam. And that's what a person has to internalize. Now exactly what that is is very hard to know. The, the feeling of tsar is something that's shavalakar. The, the understanding of the aimik of the tsar is something that, that you didn't have to be margish. The, the effect on yechidim, on mishpachis, on tzibur is something that we have to be mishtapiv in that tsar. We can't allow the fact that we happen to be thousands of miles away that this is something that's distant from us. That's something that's very real, very negeos, than Hergish of Tsar. Again, the Pratim are really not important for us. The timing, the place, all the details, it's just not negeos. In the Rabbanish Lohan's way of operating, he has his Cheshvaynas, and we'll never know. The role that the Pratim play in his cheshvayness, we're not going to know. That's not negeas. That's not the message he's trying to send to us. And, and we are hearing a message because we, we, we are very, very aware. We live in a generation that our awareness is so much greater than it was in, in years past because mode of communication is different and therefore it's not the mikra that we know what's happening everywhere in the world, and therefore certainly things of this magnitude is something that's being broadcast all over the world, being broadcast by the Rabbani Shlom all over the world. So the, the, the hergish of Tsar is something that's, that's very, very real. It should be very real. And that's what a person has to be, has to internalize. The hergation that a yachid can have about himself, of the that's something that's very real. That's that's always there, different matzavim, and certainly in this kind of a matzav, where it's in this hapich, the nakotzel akotzel people's lives turned upside down. These are hergation that a person should internalize in his own perspective of life and thinking for himself, again, about himself, not again, proti, not this event, that event, this. This activity, that activity, that's not important. It just pushes myself. How am I misyachis to myself? How am I misyachis to life? How am I misyachis to, to everything in, that I have in life? These are things that a person can think about. If a person has ergation personally, for, that he's margish, that's the gay himself, that's a chilek of the person's own avayda, and he, he should allow those Irrigation to be thought through, and if there's something positive that comes out of it for the person, that's that's a chalik of what he heard that maybe not everybody else heard. But the main thing I want to emphasize is that everything else is not only unimportant, but everything else 
distracts a person from being able to really be margish what he's supposed to be margish and for him to really hear what he's supposed to hear. So hearing everything else is the emis uh, overshadowing and it's, uh, it's, it's in a sense, it's overshadowing what he's really supposed to be hearing. So I think the avoidance such a matzah is for a person to be able to allow his mind to be cleared of the of all the thoughts and all the halakim of the event that the emes are a distraction, not allow that the focus of that to dominate his mind because that doesn't allow everything else that should surface to surface, and allow the person to focus on what is it what is it saying to me. That is, I think, our avoid as much as there's so much that we don't understand. That's the end. Now, to just to recap, because well, to me it was a, I got I actually received that email on Friday from Nari Israel. They sent out to the alumni. To the way I understand it, I'm sure I'm just going to recap it, and then we could we could continue um, into the parsha. But basically, <clears throat> the idea is things happen, things do happen, but anything that happens is ultimately a message for us is ultimately supposed to be telling me something. Anything that I find out about is supposed to be telling me something. So the fact that anything could happen in the world, thousands of miles away, in, in, in not only in Eretz Yisrael, but even if it happens in, in far, you know, in, in you know, the tsunamis and all the things that I hear about, those are all messages that I'm supposed to take. And over here, it's more particularly, it's closer to me because ultimately it's our brothers and sisters so that feeling of pain is supposed to translate into some kind of message that I receive and action that I take from it. And to me, basically, is that to, it, it was something which made me pause and say, because I had a friend of mine call me and said, yeah, his son was there. It wasn't the bleachers. It wasn't the bleachers. It was someone stampeding. It wasn't someone stampeding. That's, that was interesting. It was, oh, what was it? But the bottom line is that Hashem has a Shemirah on Eretz Yisrael, on Kal Yisrael. There's a certain thing. It can't be that it just happened. It had to have been designed to happen. And because it had to have been designed to happen, so therefore there's a message for me. And the question only is what I personally am I going to take from the message. And the message that it gives me may not be the same message it gives you. And the message it gives you may not be the, give the, be the same message as the person sitting next to you. Meaning to say... It's personalized. Me on my level that I'm that I feel connected to it. And all the details, and I'm sure you've heard from this person, it's because of Abbas Yisrael, it's because of Tznias, it's because of Lashon Hara, and they may all factor into it, but at the end of the day, we don't have a Navi, we don't have prophets telling us this is why things happen. And although they may be all right, and there's variables that are all part of the picture, but at the end of the day, that's not our responsibility. And involving ourselves in that, ultimately, the way my father was saying, it distracts us from the from the real message of it. I'm going to tell you two quick stories that happened then. One of them, my someone just told my son tonight, a Rebbe in Pesach said over this story, that there was a fellow who was climbing, literally, basically climbing over bodies. And he was like trying to get out of this of this stampede, whatever it's called. 
And he, to get himself out, he basically had to be stepping onto someone or crawling on top of someone. And he, was, he thought that maybe the person was already, had already passed away. The person was shuffling under him a little bit or moving a little bit. And this person that was under him with his last breaths looked at the person on top, this bacher, whatever he is, and he said to him, his last three words, Amoichel you. I forgive you. That's number one. That's story number one. And you just think about it. You say, wow. The, 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 this person who's underneath, who's, who knows what's going through his mind. That's what he's saying. I forgive you. Number two. The second story is like this. There was a fellow by the name of Kraus. See this guy lives in Bar Park. He was in a body bag. His body was in a body bag on Meirot. Someone noticed that the body was moving. So they unzipped the body, they rushed him to the hospital, and Friday night already, he was released from the hospital. Shabbos morning, he comes to Davening and he says, Rabbi Isai, I'm making a Sudas Haidah to thank Hashem. Why? He says, I was in a body bag, and I want to tell you what I saw. I was on a long line waiting for my final judgment, my din tarer. This, this is what the fellow in Bar Bark is saying. And a guy, one of the ushers, so to speak, whatever he called them, whatever mamunim, comes over to me and says, what are you doing here? And I said to him, I said, I'm waiting online for my judgment. And he says, no, 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 you're not supposed to be here. Because two years ago, you made a Kabbalah, a commitment that you're not going to speak during davening. That's enough. That's enough of a of a of a reason to be able to let you go back. You could go back, and that's when my body started stirring. That's when they noticed that I was alive. The power of a it's a small Kabbalah, and it's a Kabbalah of something which is yeah, it's an important Kabbalah, but it's not. We're not talking. It's something. It's something. The power of a commitment. Okay, I can't. I never met the person. I know the fellow's name is Kraus, and he lives in Bar Park. And this is the story that happened. Make with the story what you'd like, but these two things are just pause for what was happening, what was going on. Which brings us to this week's parsha. This week's parsha, the beginning of the parsha, parsha's Bahar, the first parsha, talks about Shemitah. What's Shemitah? Shemitah is that every seventh year, you do not let the, you do not work the land. Every seven years, you don't work the land. And then after seven cycles of seven years, you have that 50th year, which is the Yovel year. So you don't work two years in a row. So Rashi comments right in the beginning of the Parsha. Ma inyin Shemitah Why is Shemitah? It says in the Pasuk, Hashem spoke to Moshe in Har Sinai. So Rashi says, why do we have to make mention of Har Sinai when we're talking about Shemitah? So Rashi says what he says, but the Chassam Seifer, the Chassam Seifer says, he says Shemitah is the proof to the Torah being given on Sinai. Why? How is it the proof for the Torah to be given on Sinai? 
Because let's, let's understand what the mitzvah of Shemitah is. Imagine you wanted to start your own religion. So when you start your own religion, obviously you have to have reward and punishment. That usually takes a central role in religions. Whichever religion it is, they have their form of punishment and reward. So just one very, very, if you go to the How to Create a Religion seminar, the first thing they're going to tell you is don't promise something that you can't, um, can't um, deliver on. Deliver on. Thank you. You can't deliver. Don't promise something that you can't deliver. So if that were the case, then if I'm making up my own religion, one thing for certain I wouldn't do is say, what's going to happen with the weather? I don't think they had, um, I think in, in, in certain parts of the world, I think they say that they're able to seed the clouds to create rain. I don't know if that's been verified. I definitely have heard about that. I don't know if that's true. But the bottom line is, I'm not going to promise something that you're going to have plentiful food if I tell you not to work the field. Says the Chassam Seifer, the fact that Hashem says, don't work every seven years for an entire year. And every 50 years, don't work two years in a row, but you will have enough food. That means that it's in Hashem's control. So the proof to Sinai is the fact that there's, that there's Shemitah. That is B'derach Trush. But what is the idea of Shemitah? Why does Hashem tell us every seven years not to, not to uh, work the field? What else? What's similar to Shemitah? What mitzvah do we do every week that's similar to Shemitah? Shabbos, every seven days, we don't work. In fact, there's a story with the Panavajarov, I believe it was. I think it was the Panavajarov that he came to the land, one of the land, one of the farmers, whatever, the, the kibbutzim, where they were keeping Shemitah. He came during Shemitah and he bent down and he kissed the land and he said, Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, because it's the same Shabbos. It's the Shabbos that we have every seven days, and that the land has a Shabbos every seven years. What's the idea of Shabbos that we have? Why do we have Shabbos? Why do we have Shabbos? So you know what? When we say Vayechulu, when we say the, the paragraph of Vayechulu HaShamayin Vaharetz, Vayechal Lekim Hashem rested on Shabbos, what are we saying? That Hashem created the world. We're saying that Hashem runs the world. We're saying that there's always a new chidosh. There's always new creation of the world. We work for seven days just like Hashem works for seven days. And it's the same thing with the land. If we were to, to grow the land and continue with the land again and again and again and again, we would think it's all us. Hashem says, no, the seventh year, that's a time for you to take a break, to have some introspection, to think about it and realize that you're really not the one who's in control. I'm the one who's in control. Yeah, that's the story that they say. I think it was a Rekvegor. They, they say this about a bunch of people that there were two people fighting over land. And there were two people fighting over the land. And Rebchaim Valozhner said, I'm going to lean down to hear what the land is saying. So he leans down and they said, he said, oh, yeah, of course. So the guy's like, what, what did the land say? The land said, I don't understand what these two guys are fighting about. Both of them belong to me pretty soon. So, so that's the Shabbos Lashem. We have no control over that. Listen to this. The Gemara, actually, I just reminded myself. There's a fellow, a friend of mine. I asked you about this. Gardens are a big thing to me. But 
there was a uh, guy, there's a guy in Chicago, his name is Hill Shapiro. Hill Shapiro is actually a student of my father. He lives in West Rogers Park. And on the side of his house, he has a small, very, very small garden. But he grows herbs and some vegetables, like small things, mint, thyme, and basil, and maybe some tomatoes. He told me such a beautiful thought. The Gemara says in Brachas, we learned this in the Amada week, Senior Kailo, everywhere, we learned in Brachas the following. This is what it says. It says, we have a contradiction. One Pasuk says, La Hashem Ha'aretz Umlayo. Hashem owns the entirety of the land and that which is in it. And another Pasuk says, Hashemayim, Shemayim Lashem, the Ha'aretz Nasan Adam. The heavens belong to Hashem, but the earth belongs to mankind. Which one is it? Do we own the earth or does Hashem own the earth? So the Gemara answers this that it says, Hashemayim, Shemayim, I'm sorry, Lashem Ha'aretzim Loyo. Well, the, the, the Gemara just says, this is talking about before you make a bracha, and this is talking about after you make a bracha. So Rashi explains, what does the Gemara mean? Before a person makes a bracha, it belongs to Hashem. Hashem Ha'aretzim Loyo. After a person makes a bracha, that's when he's getting permission, so to speak, to eat it, and he's allowed to eat it. That's when it belongs to mankind. Rabbi Yosheber Salavechik said, just the opposite. Before a person makes a bracha, they think, who owns this? Who created this? Who made this tomato? I made the tomato. I planted the seed. It grew, and it's my tomato. I coddled it. I took care of it. I nurtured it. It's my tomato. After a person makes a bracha, they realize, no, no, no. It really all belongs to Hashem. They recognize, I'm making the bracha, they're recognizing that in fact, it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Hashem, and Hashem is the one who made it happen. That's the Pshat and the Gemara, just the opposite. And that's what Shemitah essentially, essentially is recognizing that we're not in control. <clears throat> Rabbi? Yeah. Yes. Do, in Israel, is it followed Shemitah it, to current times? Yes, yes, yes. There are, there are unfortunately, um, some places that don't keep Shemitah, but I'll tell you like this, we're not judging them, because I'll tell you, the Medrash says and describes the farmers as people of superhuman strength. And the commentators ask, superhuman strength? The Pasuk says, the Torah says, this is what you have to do. What do you mean superhuman strength? And I, I forget where I saw this. Maybe I saw this from Amart Chadruk or, or Rabaran Cutler, maybe. They're superhuman strength because imagine if someone came to you and said, every seven years, don't touch your business. You have to let weeds grow as long as it's not going to destroy the field. You have to just let things go. That's not, even though the Torah says to do it, that doesn't make it easy. So, so I'm not, it, it is a very difficult thing. There happens to be, if you read up and you do some uh, history, you'll see that there were certain open miraculous stories that happened for different kibbutzim and moshavs that kept Shemitah. There was like a locust uh, um, plague, but this place got saved. It, it, it's, it's really, I mean, in fact, there's a woman, that, um, what's her name? I just ate with her on Pesach, Pamela Fox, Pamela Clayman. Her father lives here in Clayton. He was like some ambassador somewhere, I don't know. She told us that she bought a farm. I don't know how big the farm is, whatever, up north, that this land was, Shemitah was never kept. 
And the most recent history was never kept. And now they bought it, and they're gonna, it's going to keep Shemitah this coming year. Next year is Shemitah, and they're going to bring tour groups, you know, from like J, J, JWRP, I think, I don't know how, I forgot what it is, that they're going to go and show them what it means, what Shemitah is, and what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. So it's it's something which is is a phenomenal, phenomenally difficult mitzvah, but it's one that's a very, very precious one, because ultimately, um, actually, the, the Pasuk says that if you'll ask, what am I going to eat? So the, 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 the Pasuk says that it's going to make double the amount of food. So the commentators say, let's say they don't ask. It sounds like it's only if they ask that it's going to make double the amount of food. What happens if they don't ask? And the answer is, if they don't ask, if their level of emuna and belief in Hashem and trust in Hashem is so high that he's going to take care of them, then the food will not double. You know what will happen? They'll be satisfied with less. It's called the food being mizbareich b'meir. It will, it will expand, meaning it will satiate them, even with less. So that's even a higher level uh, above that. Yes, Leslie. It's a great leap of faith because depending upon what your crop is, you may have to not harvest for two, two, years. two whole years. You mean if, it, if, it, if it only comes out later? And it right. could even be three years, right? Depending That's upon right, right. Crop. It's with the oil. Right. So, right. I mean, you got, if you're going you're gonna to do this and go, oh, what are we going to do? Well, we gonna, we're not going to have any food. You're 100% right. In fact, today, yeah. today, I think it was last time because of that, and, and, and because it's so recognized, there was a whole organization that would raise funds from people out of Eretz Yisrael, people that don't have their business in that thing, to help support these farmers. I mean, it's, it, you're right. It's an unbelievable mm-hmm. And let's put it this way. Us, who we don't live, last I checked, none of you have a farm in your backyard. I know you have animals there, but that doesn't count. If you don't have the corn and the, the soybean, whatever it is, it's not a, um, you know what I mean? Everyone around us in Illinois and uh, whatever, you know, these parts on Route 70, they all have that. It's not, uh, you know what I'm saying? Basically, you're telling them, go to Kailo for a year. Go learn yeshiva, because there's nothing you could do. Um but that's the that's why Shemitah is next to Harsinai to show its centrality and the importance of it, that the foundation of it is just like Shabbos. And just like Shabbos is the source of bracha, so too Shemitah is the source of bracha. Because ultimately it's like this. My brother told me, my brother told me a beautiful moshe. This is the analogy he said. He said there was can I, can I, can I, can I point from there? Yes, please. Um there are plenty of farmers in Missouri. If you go to like towards like my Grafton, there's plenty of um, farms there. So we'll have to go check it out to see what, what they could do and what they can't do during Shemitah. Okay. Listen, you'll arrange it. We'll take a class trip. Okay. <laughs> so listen to this, listen to this analogy. There was a fellow um, who was outside of the king's palace, somewhere in the capital. He was doing something he shouldn't have been doing. And they started, or, or maybe he didn't know, it was whatever. And they started to arrest him. And he said to the guards, he said, you can't arrest me. I'm a close friend of the king's. They said, oh, okay. So they bring him to the palace. 
And they tell the king, "Your uh, a close friend of yours is here. They bring the fellow in. They ask the king, do you recognize this person? The king says, no. So the king turns to the fellow, says, do I know you? He says, no. He says, so why do you say that you're a close friend of mine? He said, because I knew that you would take care of me. I knew that you would help me out. So the king said, oh, you knew and you felt confident that I would be a benevolent king to you? I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll put you on your feet to whatever you need, I'll take care of. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if we say to him, we trust you, Hashem, we know you're going to take care of us, then by us putting ourselves, so to speak, in his hands and saying, we know that you'll take care of us, we trust you, Hashem will reciprocate in kind and say, because you trust me, I'm going to take care of you. And that's what really Shemitah, Shemitah is all about. Let me tell you two more things. Well, we'll see, I have another story. Okay, let me just talk in general then for a minute, then we'll get to the story and we'll see what we have time for afterwards. This, in Parshas Bukhukhoisai, talks, it's a lot of the Parshas about the Toichecha. The Toichecha is the, is the rebuke, but it's the, ch- ch- uh, ch- uh, chast, chat. basically when we're told that if we don't behave, this is what's going to happen. I forget what the word in English, you'll find. Chastise. Chastise, yes. That's when we're chastised and we're told that if we don't follow what the Torah says, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Another time we have this is later on in Parshas Kisavoy. There also is the Torah, the chast, whatever we're being chastised, and we're told this is what's going to happen. One of the foundational reasons for retribution is tachas, since because we do not serve Hashem with joy and gladness of the heart. Let me tell you a story. And then we'll understand the lengths of the posting and what it's telling us. It was a city in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam they, um, they had the, the cemetery, the, the Jewish cemetery was all filled up. And they had to buy a new plot of land to make a new cemetery. They had a whole affair to, to whatever they do when they are shtelling avek or making a new cemetery, a new basic forest. And it wasn't such a large community, but it was, you know, then someone died. Someone died. So he was going to have, so to speak, the honor of being the first one buried there. So the Hever Kadisha sent the crew to go dig the grave where they had designated and said, this is going to be where the first grave is, is dug. The workers come to the Besak forest to the plot the land, and they see, one second, just not so long ago, this is a plain piece of land, and now there's a dig, there's a, there's a freshly dug hole for a grave, for a coffin, perfect size, how in the world does this get here? This wasn't here when we when we um, sanctified or made the you know the Hanukkah ha whatever the Kvaras, the cemetery, and they had no idea what was going on. They had no explanation. They had the levaya, they bury the person. They're trying to figure out what's going on, and then they find out. You know who dug that? Someone who never would have the opportunity to dig it. There was a kohen in town. And he said, I never get to get involved 
in Hever Kadisha work, in the holy work of taking care of the Taurus, taking care of the burials, of taking care of the Levias in an intimate way. He heard that someone passed away. He said, I'm going, I'm going to dig up myself. Finally, I get an opportunity. There's no one buried there yet. It's not considered a cemetery. I'll dig the grave. Isn't that unbelievable? But what does that tell you? That tells you something so poshut and so straightforward, but something which for, for me, it's a big lesson. And it's the idea is, in short, do I have a got-to attitude or a get-to attitude? Do I look at the mitzvahs that I do, the obligations that I have, as something that I have to do, something I got to do, I have no choice, this is my commandment, or do I say, I'm going to do it v'simchov v'tov levav. I'm going to do it joyfully with so much pleasure. I get the schos, the merit to be able to perform the mitzvah. This kohen in Amsterdam said, and he wanted, he desired to do the mitzvah in such a strong way. He said, I want to do this, but I can't. He didn't just say, okay, that's it. He said, I'm going to be creative. I want the mitzvah so badly. I have so much joy to do the mitzvah that when the time comes, I'm going to go dig the grave myself. Finally, I could do it. Isn't that a whole different attitude? Then I'm not saying not you, me. For me, that we have a mitzvah. It's like, okay, this is what I have to do. I get to put on tefillin. I get to where it sits. I get to do Shabbos. I get to, it's, it's a whole different thing. It's so much more enjoyable and so much more pleasurable. And that's why, Hashem says, If we don't serve Hashem joyfully, then we're essentially like the begrudgingly, you know, the guy that begrudgingly does the things, begrudgingly does all the things that he's supposed to do. You not only, you'll get some reward, but the, there's also in every single aspect of mitzvah and fulfillment, there's that, um, what's it called? Um, there's that, you know, the, the background, the background of negativity, a background of being, having resentment for having to do it. That's what it is. Now, okay, I have another story. It's a little bit of a longer story, so we're going to save it for next week, because next week is right before Shavuos, so we'll talk Shavuos, but we'll talk about Bamidbar, Bamidbar, Klal Yisrael, Every year is being a letter in the Torah and how beautiful it is. All right? Have a good night, everyone. Yes, Thank you.